In a typical staffing firm today, roughly 50% of all found talent fail to complete their employment forms. Of those that do complete their forms, only 60% show up and stay for their first day of work. Onboarding is now the single largest choke point in the talent funnel. So, what can staffing leaders do? This is Aviante Digital Edge. Welcome to the Aviante Digital Edge, a podcast series that explores the digital transformation of staffing and temporary employment in the U.S. workplace. My name is Chris Ryan, and I'm the Chief Strategy and Marketing Officer for Aviante. And for the past 30 years, I've explored U.S. labor trends and employment practices in the United States. With me today to explore the topic of onboarding for staffing is Katie Schultz, a veteran of Aviante and now a member of our new professional service team, which advises our clients on the best ways to optimize their technology. Before I introduce Katie, I'd like to provide perspective and I'll date myself. When I accepted my first job 45 years ago, the entire onboarding process took a few days. Enrollment was paper-based, and I had to fill out one of those funny green bar forms where the instructions tell you to print carefully and you print each single letter of your name and address directly into its own little box. My background check wasn't completed until a week after I started and I came home with a 30-page employee manual. Now, to be clear, I was okay with this. There was a recession going on at the time and I was hoping to stay with my employer for at least a few years and I didn't have any special expectations about my so-called employment experience. I was grateful to have a job. Besides that, I got through college with an electric typewriter and my personal computer booted up on a floppy drive, so it all seemed normal. Today, it's a little different. My smartphone is a supercomputer which I use to manage my banking, travel, grocery shopping, and tickets. I expect my employer to use smart technology so that I don't waste my time and I can view my paycheck, view benefits, and request PTO from my phone. And I, like millions of Americans today, now work remotely. The world of temporary and contingent labor is also very different. We now face major labor shortages in the U.S. If you want to work and work now, you have other options besides the traditional staffing company. You can look for gig work. You can put your credentials out on a digital talent platform. You can accept one job and keep looking for a better job on your mobile job board. And some large employers are even developing their own part-time talent pools for contingent staffing. In some use cases, it's now possible to buy and sell your work by the shift or even by the hour. In this kind of environment, onboarding puts traditional W-2 staffing at a real disadvantage. The staffing company that can find and keep the most talent and put them to work quickest is going to win. You can't afford a two-day paper process to put talent into a short-term assignment. So for today's discussion, we're going to discuss the challenges associated with onboarding, especially for staffing companies. We are gonna discuss best practices in onboarding, and we're gonna talk about how the right onboarding technology can give you a competitive edge. And while we will start by looking at traditional staffing and workflows, we'll also explore the emerging role of onboarding as a cornerstone process that some staffing companies are using to build a digital talent marketplace. 
So Katie, welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You've held a variety of roles at Aviante. Yeah, Chris, thanks for having me. Um, so I've been working with Aviante for about seven years now in a variety of forms, including support, uh, working with integrations, and working as a solutions engineer with our client management team before where I am now as a professional services consultant. So is it fair to say that you've specifically helped or spoken with a few hundred staffing agencies over the past few years? You're, you're kind of on the front line of technology issues like onboarding. Is that fair? Uh, yes, that absolutely is. I've had the thrill of working on a daily basis with, like you said, hundreds of staffing companies, ranging from, you know, a small handful of head mom and pop shops to enterprise accounts, from light industrial to professional in healthcare. Yeah, so wide range of different uh, firms, different vertical industries, and you've also seen a wide variety of onboarding practices and use among customers. Yeah, absolutely. There can be so much variety there, ranging from vertical to client preferences. Maybe you have very specific customers that have rigorous onboarding requirements themselves that you need to pass on. There are just quite a variety of ways that onboarding can be done within a company. So you've seen a lot of different things. So Katie, I have to ask, how would you feel if you were given an offer by an employer and then they handed you a stack of paper forms to fill out. Uh, how would you respond to that? Uh, well, I, I might laugh inside myself or externally, depending, I suppose, on, on the pay. But it would, be, it would be a little striking in 2023 for sure. Yeah, a little bit of a red flag, perhaps, in the way, uh, <laughs> way it looks. So, uh, you know, so let's get into it. Why is onboarding so important to staffing companies? And I know that sounds like an obvious question, but sometimes it's good to just step back and say, you know, what is it that we're doing and why is it that it's so important? Yeah, so there are a couple things there. First, onboarding really begins the process of socializing your candidate, not just to your organization, but also to the clients you represent. And part of that has to do with legal compliance as well. You don't necessarily want to open your doors to ICE for an E-Verify audit, for example. Um, but aside from that, onboarding is, is really seeing how that candidate fits into your world. It's also a good point to develop the relationships and rapport with your candidates so that they keep coming back to you when they need more work. So it gives you an opportunity as a staffing company to create stickiness. So if Gary comes into my branch, I'm not just offering him any position. I need to know more about him, his location, his skills and strengths, whether he's eligible to work in the U.S. and any preferences he might have within that. And I need to make sure he passes a background check and a drug screening. I need to make sure he fills out any compliance-related forms like an I-9 or W-4. And I need, again, to make sure that I'm being compliant, that I'm abiding by uh, legal regulations to make sure that he's completing those state-specific forms, those federal forms, and that I'm not only collecting, but also upkeeping his certifications, whether he is a forklift driver or a registered nurse. So, so I, I, I'm curious then, really, what you're saying is, yeah, it's the law, but you're also saying that the, the reputation of a, of, of a staffing agency, the way they look to the talent is also 
going to, it's going to be very dependent on onboarding, but that also, that process can also help you to figure out where and how to place people. Is that right? Exactly. And your onboarding process, it, it does affect your reputation, not just with your clients, but with your candidate. So for example, Susie knows her best friend came to your company and Susie's best friend was onboarded in a day and on assignment the next. So Susie wants your company because of that reputation, because of that speed, and because of the quality of assignment she knows her friend was put on. Now, on the other side of that, your client, ABC Warehouse, they know that you thoroughly vet your candidates in a compliant way so that if they go and run an audit against you, you have all your, all your boxes checked um, and you can supply candidates quickly. They trust your company based off of, among many things, your onboarding process. Yep. So, so we've talked about legal risk. Uh, we've talked about the fact that you could either attract or put put off talent. You could develop a, a poor brand reputation or or upset your customers. But why else is onboarding so critical to staffing companies? I mean, let 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 me let let me needle you a little. Okay. The how do frontline recruiters feel about onboarding? Oh. Is this one of their favorite activities? You know. It, how, yeah. how, how do recruiters feel about onboarding? So onboarding is very much a necessary evil. It is competitive. So even within you know those four walls of one staffing company, you have recruiters competing against each other. And this is done at breakneck speeds. Recruiters constantly have to keep up with the expectations. They have to meet their KPIs. And with that increased speed, by nature, that increases the risk of, of air. So it's demanding a lot of recruiters, which can be very stressful for them as, as part of their process. So while it's critical, it takes time as well, not just from the onset, but also from following up. Uh, it isn't necessarily a one and done process. A recruiter needs to potentially re-engage or, or push, remind throughout the onboarding process. So. Yeah. And I, I, and, and frankly, sometimes I've heard people say, oh, the recruiter uh, becomes a babysitter. Um, very often, if, especially if talent is, is unreliable, if they're confused, if the process is confusing, mm -hmm. you know, they're expected to babysit the talent. And if you're the talent, you know, who are you going to go to other than the recruiter to get your questions answered? Exactly. And to that point, let's say I'm onboarding Gary. He comes into my office and I'm starting to onboard him. A potential sticking point in that onboarding process or a fall off point, if you will, would be the I-9. So he could fill out section one of his I-9 incorrectly. So then you as the recruiter have to go correct or have him redo it. Um, he could have forgotten his supporting document, like a birth certificate at home. So now you have to wait for him to go back and come back into the office the next day with that document, assuming he finds it. Or even in a situation where you're doing remote verification for the I-9, let's say that Gary's remote verifier is his neighbor and his neighbor needs to focus on yard work for the next couple days and doesn't really care about checking Gary's driver's license. That could be another point of fall off there um, that could really 
put some of the burden on the recruiter to follow up. Even just down to the basic, the basic level of Gary made not like filling out the I-9 itself and gives up. He may need that human push to keep him going through some more complex forms. So I have to ask, and I'm I'm sort of curious, what are some of the the biggest horror stories you've ever heard about uh, recruiters and the onboarding process? Any any interesting stories come to mind? Oh my goodness. So... (laughs) A couple different things here, and this kind of ties into technology and actually what technology can help do. So one thing that comes up a surprising amount of times in talking to recruiters is the frequency of somebody attaching the wrong document. Now, that may seem pretty harmless just from a high level, but ultimately, if you are, for example, a a recruiter, you're wanting to open up an image of Gary's CDL and instead you see that he accidentally attached a picture of his swimsuit zone. That actually really does happen a little bit more than you'd think. There, there is also a human level that, that can be a little difficult for recruiters and can cause some horror stories, which is when you're working with candidates who, you know, are living week by week. They may not have the money for gas. They may not have the money for childcare. So halfway through an interview in your office, you find out that their child, that they left their child in in the car so that they could, you know, try to, to get a job without needing to hire a babysitter during their interview. So there can be, there can be some, <laughs> some, some surprises that walk through your door and even Oh my goodness, even there was there was one story I heard uh, recently where there was somebody who went on site, they were they were terminated and then they came back in to the office the next week. They applied with a different name, got through, got put on assignment and it took a couple of weeks for the client to to reach out and figure that out. So Again, kind of going through those verification processes is, is just so critical to recruiters. And there, there are horror stories, you know, of uh, I run a drug test for Gary or I, I assign a drug test to Gary. He needs to go do a 10 panel. And he is so confident. He is so confident that he is going to pass it. Everything looks good. He walks out that door and then I get the 10 panel back and, and it turns out he's a meth user and I've wasted my entire time onboarding somebody when I don't work with any clients that hire meth users. So <laughs> wow. recruiting is a wild ride for sure. Yeah, no, it it, it, it it sounds like it. And it, it also sounds like, well, you know, if if football players and Congress uh, congresspersons can accidentally send the wrong picture uh, on their phone, there's no telling what what happens on a daily basis in a recruiter's office with with people's personal credentials. So, exactly. you know, if you were providing, you know, consulting to a staffing agency and you were going to work with them and review and update their onboarding procedures, how would you proceed and how would you advise them? You know, when you're looking at an onboarding procedure, how do you know what's efficient and effective? What do you look for? Gotcha. So a couple different things there. 
we want to make sure that everything is centralized as much as possible. So reducing the swivel chair effect, reducing the amount of systems and tabs that a person needs to have open at one time. We're also looking for uniformity. So is there uniformity in your onboarding procedure as much as possible to make it easier for your recruiting team to support and train in each other and, and maintain that sense of unity? But beyond reducing the swivel chair, beyond that uniformity, there is also kind of another level to onboarding, which is making sure, again, that you're compliant. So do you have any technology checks in place to enforce that E-Verify has been completed, for example? Do you have review cycles set for your onboarding process, ranging from documents to, to background checks? Um, are your documents up to date? Did any branding change? Did any state-specific forms update? It's really good to have uh, a regular review cadence, which is definitely one of the, the big things that I recommend. Interesting. Yeah. So it, it, it sounds like in, that, that would explain how sometimes when you, uh, when you see an onboarding procedure, you can come across a document that's been Xeroxed 50 times over the last 10 mm -hmm. years and really should have been taken out of cir circulation a while ago. So yeah. if, if you had a friend who was starting their own staffing agency and they were starting it from scratch, how would you counsel them to set up their onboarding procedure? And what would you do? if you were doing it from scratch? Yeah, so as they're building their client base, as they're starting from scratch, something to kind of balance is your process, your efficiency, your uniformity versus a client's needs for their background checks, their paperwork and things like that. So making sure that you have a process to vet your clients through, see if they need any unique onboarding documents or background check packages, for example, and kind of keeping those tracked, trying to make those as scalable as possible. Compliance is huge. So obviously making sure that you have a system um, to upkeep those forms. Maybe you are using an onboarding tool that automatically updates your federal and state forms when a new version's out, for example. Um, so finding the right technology fit is is pretty key there too. Yeah. So uh, so let's talk about technology capabilities. I mean, there are uh, there are individualized programs out there for doing onboarding process. Sometimes uh, you see uh, a company will purchase an ATS and then they will, they will purchase uh, separate services from uh, an onboarding vendor. Uh, they may try to in integrate them or operate them separately. But you know, ultimately, what are the most important capabilities for supporting onboarding from a technology perspective? Well, from a technology perspective, what we really like to see is a CYA. Um, again, with staffing, there's a lot of open doors where someone can come at you for your compliance and technology can enforce that compliance. So I, I think I brought it up before, making sure everyone's e-verified so you don't get hit with a six-figure bill when ICE comes walking through your door. Um, making sure that your state-specific tax forms are completed and those withholdings go into your payroll and having, having that be done automatically. So reducing the data entry for that recruiter. Technology is also going to allow you to upkeep your candidate records. So Gary's CDL is expiring in three months. 
let the technology remind the recruiter, let the technology reach out to Gary and get that updated license. Got it. Got it. So there, there are a lot of opportunities for, for standardizing the process and also making sure that you don't get, get variances there. I was actually struck a little bit by your comment about E-Verify. I'd noticed that there had actually been an, an article in the New York Times on you know, labor practices and, and, and unauthorized labor. Am I to understand that, for example, the use of E-Verify would be a way of ensuring that your company never runs afoul of U.S. employment law, at least or, you know, regarding people who are authorized or not authorized to work in the United States? Yeah, at the very least, that will cover you in an ICE audit. If someone went through, they provided you the information, you put that information through E-Verify and they passed. Uh, but to be perfectly honest, these days, there there are instances where things can get through E-Verify, the fake documentation and, and things like that, that people can get, uh, can absolutely actually kind of slip through e-verify in some instances but conceptually yes that that is the way that americans verify the ability to work in the us yep so what are some of the considerations for high volume staffing and executive recruiting so high volume staffing it goes it goes down to speed you may have a more pared down onboarding process because potentially you aren't uh, doing high volume for a uh, high level of skills. It's more about finding the people with the right availability that are willing to go and sit in that seat. Redeployment uh, can be pretty big in that too, because as people are coming through, they're completing their contracts, they're going to come back. They know that you quickly put them to work and they're going to come back for their next mass redeployment. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and and that actually, you know, that that sort of uh, segues into our next topic. You know, so let let's talk about this aspect of onboarding, and and especially as it relates to the so-called digital talent marketplace. I mean, historically, onboarding was a monolithic, one-step process. You know, but today, talent agencies are really breaking the onboarding process down into stages. You know, as as an example, I've I've heard of uh, of staffing companies that might have uh, a high speed redeployment onboarding process uh, versus a standard uh, where they might have a pre qualification uh, stage. So, why are staffing companies doing that, and what what are the benefits of modular onboarding where you break onboarding down into different stages? Yeah. So breaking things down into different onboarding stages does allow you to kind of control the speed of onboarding and put different steps in place. For instance, somebody can come through, they do a basic interview, they they fall off, and maybe you don't continue with them through your current pipeline, but you have that base to know if I need to go and mine my existing talent, I at the very least have this basic questionnaire, this basic screening, so I have an idea of who this person is before I go and I try to re-engage them and pull them back into my candidate pool. It, it really is also building that, that loyalty. So as you're going through, you know, maybe you come through that initial screening, you bring them through the onboarding, the initial onboarding, that compliance piece, again, with the I-9, W4, all of that. 
But then during that phase, you're also developing the relationship and they know that, hey, they're going to be next steps. When I go on assignment to a particular client, my recruiters already let me know there's just going to be a little bit more for me to complete. Um, beyond that, there may also be, like you mentioned, redeployment steps where if I am using technology, if I have a good relationship with my candidates or can easily identify the ones that need to be need to complete redeployment paperwork, they're going to be completing less paperwork during that redeployment, quite likely. Um, so that is kind of, uh, I suppose, another module, if you will, of onboarding, if that if that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, no. And, and what it sounds like is if redeployment is important to your business, just like, you know, a repeat customer is important to a store, re, a repeat talent is important to you know, to a profitable staffing firm. So, you know, as I understand it, staffing companies are using onboarding now to really build up a pool of uh, of candidates who are ready to, ready to deploy quickly and where they can push push jobs. So there might be pre qualification. There there might be the 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 legal step of onboarding itself. But the idea of fast redeployment means that. Um, your talent is more likely to come back to you because they know they're going to have hassle-free experience in getting in in getting work. Exactly. So, um, so in, interestingly, you know, while we think of onboarding as a a process in, in and of itself, you know, in the long run, it 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 would seem that that onboarding is really going to be one of the core pieces of you know of a digital talent marketplace or the digital transformation of a staffing company. So. Do you have any interesting cases or stories that you can share about uh, what what are some of the most innovative, you know, staffing companies doing today with their onboarding process? What have you seen? Well, they're putting it more and more into the hands of the candidates so that they can control the timing themselves. So, you know, cutting edge, that front line looks like Susie, who is a single mother working a job at McDonald's, and she's having the worst day of her life. So she goes into the bathroom, you know, cries a little bit, pulls out her phone and starts engaging with the staffing agency. And she has a new job that she's onboarded for by the time her shift there is done. And you're seeing that today. Staffing companies are able to essentially onboard somebody during a bathroom break. Yeah, that that really is where staffing companies can leverage technology to have their jobs open and available, to have some automated onboarding processes for for applicants. And if there is a human element, having the technology notify the recruiters that, hey, there's somebody new in the system, let's engage right away. Maybe we're sending Susie a text just to get a little bit more information, but really technology and the human element can go hand in hand there to to be top of the line truly yeah so katie is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience today regarding onboarding yeah ultimately it comes down to the perspective you want to keep everyone's perspective in mind as you're setting up your onboarding process for the first time or reviewing your existing onboarding process so keeping in mind the perspective of the talent who needs things to be done easily, quickly, 
with a friendly face uh, to recruiter who needs to meet their KPIs and have good metrics while also having a good experience working within your branch and to have the tools to be efficient. And then the perspective of your clients, are you giving them the good quality candidates? Is, is your vetting process supporting your reputation to your clients? So really technology versus human element, ultimately it really boils down to the perspective of, of those three. Got it. Got it. Thank you, Katie, for joining us and sharing your professional experiences around onboarding and technology. And we really look forward to having you back with us for some future episodes. I'd also like to thank our audience for joining us and having you back as well. For our next episode, we're going to talk about digital transformation of staffing with Chris Johnson. And in particular, we're going to discuss the progress of migrating your staffing agency from traditional staffing to digital staffing. And while many of you might be wondering what that means, I'd say it this way. Many staffing agencies use technology extensively today, but the focus has always been around automating the current manual processes that you have, rather than thinking through new ways to use technology to be even more efficient, as well as more attractive to talent. So that's something that Chris Johnson will take us through. Chris has been a major thought leader within the staffing community over the last two decades, and this is an interview you probably won't want to miss. So we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast series. And if you'd like to learn more about Aviante, please visit our website at aviante.com. Until next time, this is Chris Ryan. Thank you for joining Aviante Digital Edge.